Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this, our last community chapel. And obviously, we've been saying, you know, times have changed. You know, I was thinking the other day, if I could have copyrighted the word unprecedented and got a loony every time somebody used it, I'd be a wealthy person. Anyway, that is not the case. Now, just a few announcements um, that we want to just highlight again today. Uh, the ebook Born Crucified by Ellie Maxwell, which is available for a certain number if you would email the library and Veronica will take care of you. So library at prairie.edu and we'll send you a gift card to Amazon so that you can uh, purchase that book for free. And so that's available and we would invite you to take advantage of that. Now last week, students, I talked about two surveys. One is the intention survey and this is for everybody. So if you're graduating, we need to know that. If you're coming back, we need to know that as well. If you're doing something else in the fall, we need to know that Two. So it's just for everybody to fill out. And then there's the second survey, which is the student feedback survey. Now, we did say uh, last week that if you fill those out, there's a $100 Amazon gift card that's going to be awarded to one fortunate student. You have until the end of this month, so April 30th. Uh, in order to fill out those surveys. Now there is a retention bursary application form that's also available and if you say, hey, I'm coming back and I'd really like to have some money, then that's the bursary application for you. Now here's the other thing. In order to fill out that bursary application, you need to complete the two surveys. So you know what? Just do the two surveys. I guess we got you one way or the other. So anyway, fill those out, fill out that bursary application if you're coming back, and then you'll be entered to win that $100 Amazon gift card. You know, I sent an email out to the music students uh, this week, and I was just reminding them that as we come to the end of the semester, this is kind of crunch time for everything, for all your assignments, and you're just feeling the pressure of it. The thing that's different this year is that you're in your own homes and you're sensing that pressure and so you're not able to journey with everyone else in this path of wow there's so much work left to be done so let me just encourage you today to reach out to somebody and commiserate together if you need to that's okay but just to check on each other and to let them know that yes this is kind of the crunch time we're into the last two weeks and so yes there's a lot of assignments coming due but keep at it work at it and you will get it done okay well let's uh let me turn it over to our president and he's got a couple of words for us as well uh-oh uh-oh uh -oh. the lights are all messed up <laughs> I did ask Mark if I could jump in and, and greet all of you at the end of the year. I want to say thank you to so many people. Um, thank you to each of you who fit us into your life. We were delighted to have you on our journey this week and us be part of your journey. I wanted to also say thank you to all the people that work so hard at putting on our chapels, like these worship teams. I am so grateful for the work they do and their talent that they put on stage for us. And I'm grateful to all the speakers who come in and give us their talent as well. Thank you. 
Thank you for being part of this series, the I Am series. When Jesus said I am, and then the second half of that book is so what? So who am I? These two semesters back to back. And then I'm also wanting to say thank you to Andrew Potter and all of the people who have helped us on the technology side. That's a lot of work and they made a lot of good adjustments and were able to help us continue to deliver even online like we are today. As I look to the end of the year, I want to just um, say congratulations to our, our grads. We do have a chapel recognizing many, many different things for different students who have achieved different milestones this Friday, so we hope you'll, you'll sign in for that. But um, then one week later, we would normally have been having our graduation, and we'd have that joy of handing out walking sticks to all of our four-year grads. So we will be having a graduation in the fall. Our goal is mm, in September. That's as much as I've got it narrowed down to right now. We're kind of sharing ideas about whether or not we make it part of the come back to school at the beginning of September or part of the alumni uh, reunion, which is later in September. But we are in faith planning to be back here on campus for uh, school in the fall. And if we are, then we'll look forward to doing um, grad this way. And we'll hand out all those sticks. And we have that lovely rumble of all of those sticks on stage as they pound away and, and celebrate the fact that they've graduated with their bachelor degrees. Now, um, we are, if, if, we, if you have finished your bachelor's degree, you're welcome to come back for grad. You're also maybe thinking, I can't make it back. I can't make it back. But you really want that stick. We will get the stick to you one way or another. You can come by and pick it up before grad or somehow you have earned this stick and we'll figure out um, how to make sure that you've got that. For those of you who don't know anything about it, it's kind of um, symbolic of the stick that was in Moses' hand when God asked him, what's in your hand? And the point was God was going to use whatever was available in Moses' hands to deliver the people of Israel. It wasn't about the stick. It was about... Moses giving up the stick so that God could give it life. And that's what we do with our education. That's what we do with other talents. We hand them over to God and let him pick them up. And suddenly he gives it life. And then it has the power of the Almighty. From that day on, Moses' stick was called the staff of God. I want to pray for my very good friend, Glenn Lowen, as he comes to speak and then we'll get on with the message. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this year. We thank you for the blessing you have been upon us this whole year. We thank you for all of the many things you've provided for us. And we ask that you would bless us in this next hour with your Holy Spirit. Give us keen ears to hear from you. Give us hearts open and ready to move. And then we ask that you would provide us with the resources to get the work done that you want us to. Bless us, we pray, so that we can be a blessing. Bless my friend Glenn, so he too can be a blessing. Give him clarity, give him your word, and let us hear from you through him. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Dr. Glenn Lowen. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well, before I get into sink my, my teeth into the meditation. Just a couple of comments. Uh, the first one, students at the risk of sounding sappy, I want to say we are so grateful and we love each of you. We miss you. No one in their wildest dreams would have predicted 
what's taken place uh, this year and what we have experienced together. Our hope is that we have served you well, and if we've done so, I hope you tell your friends. If we haven't, if we've served you poorly, we hope you tell us, not your friends. Please come back in the fall. Prairie is unapologetically committed to biblical education as the center and foundation of study in a posture of submission and discipleship. And in a culture of values that shift like sand, this type of education is valuable and vital to remind us that there is a God who holds history and will bring it to consummation in such a way that he will receive all glory. This kind of education is worthwhile because he is worthy of our complete and unmitigated commitment. So please, plan to come back. And we're uh, looking forward already and preparing already for you to do so. Knowing who you are is essential to human flourishing. Identity is important. When my second daughter, Crystal, is her name, was a little girl, and someone would ask her, what's your name? She would often answer, Jewel. Well, why was she confused? Her old, our oldest daughter's name is Jewel, and so Crystal had often heard people ask her older sister, what's your name? She had heard the answer often, Jewel. So when someone asked her her name, she was convinced that she knew the answer. But as much as she was convinced she knew the answer, she was entirely wrong. She was, in confu she was confused about her identity. So, who am I? How do you answer that, as that question? Especially, how do you answer that question in your self-talk, when you talk to yourself about yourself? Who do you say that you are? What is your identity? And are you convinced that your answer is correct? In our final chapel, or community chapel at least, I want to review this year's chapel themes with a specific application to our identity as believers. And I'm going to approach the topic through kind of a question-answer method. So the first question that I want to ask and then answer is in the theme, when Jesus said, I am, what is the biblical basis? Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. Ego ami. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, and the true vine. Jesus says, I am. And every time that Jesus uses that term, I am, he is making a declaration, a pronouncement of his identity. Well, in what way is the phrase I am a declaration of the identity of Jesus? In the culture to whom Jesus was speaking, I am was like a trigger phrase. Let me just give you an example of what I mean by a trigger phrase. If I use the term Remembrance Day, the words have more meaning to you than the words themselves because it elicits in your mind 
the history of, a, of soldiers' lives given and sacrificed for your freedom. In a similar way to the Jewish culture to which Jesus spoke, when he said, I am, it triggered a whole history that began at the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, we read, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. And so at the burning bush, God reveals his identity. I am is his personal name. And that name, I am, reveals at least three realities about God. The first one is, it identifies that God exists. There were a whole bunch of no-gods, both in Egypt as well as in Canaan. And in contrast to all of the no-gods, was the God who is the only true God. Not only that, but I am identified God as self-existent. He is the creator who has no creator. Sorry, he is the creator. I think I said it right the first time, so let's just go with that. He exists apart from any dependence on anything or anyone. And thirdly, I am identifies the God who is unchangeable. He can never be the I was, as if he could change. Whatever he was, he continues to be, and he will be forever. And so when Jesus would say in his culture, I am, it triggers in their minds the whole theology and history in which he identifies himself as the one living and true God, the self-existing one, the one who is eternal, the one who does not change, the one who does not depend on anyone or anything. That is his identity. Now, why is that important? Certainly, it was important in the time of Jesus. The Jewish leaders of his day knew exactly the claim that Jesus was making. Now, they didn't agree with his claim. They didn't agree that he was God. But certainly, they knew precisely the claim that he was making. In fact, they considered that claim as blasphemy, and they would crucify him because of it. C.S. Lewis, an Oxford scholar, writer, Christian apologist, and former atheist, used the trilemma argument that he published in his book, Mere Christianity, to argue this same I am question and claim. The claim that Jesus is God. This trilemma argument is sometimes described as the lunatic, liar, or Lord argument. Let me quote from Lewis in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on the level of the man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be a devil of hell. He must, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Why is that claim important? Because the identity of Jesus as God is the basis of everything the Christian believes and lives. The identity of Jesus is foundational to our faith such that everything rises or falls with the deity of Jesus. Jesus was not only crystal clear about his identity, but he purposely proclaimed that identity to others. This brings me to a fourth question, which is the chapel theme that we've had this semester, so who am I? This implies that there is a connection between the identity of Jesus and the identity of a Christian. And I want to just for a minute think again with you about that connection. The identity of humanity is directly connected to God's identity. Our identity, that is, I am, is rooted in God's identity, I am, in at least two ways. First of all, through creation. In Genesis, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, our identity as humans is directly dependent on the fact that we are created in the very image of God. And that is why Christians argue for the value of all life, regardless of age, race, color, gender. All are precious in God's economy. All people have worth, not because of their performance, but simply because they are. We are not random evolutionary products of chance, but rather image bearers of I am. However, as Christians, we even have a deeper identity than our creation. We have an identity through recreation. From the moment of our conversion, we are in Christ. This is Paul's favorite way to describe the believer and uses that term in his writings more than 160 times. This reality of being in Christ refers to our spiritual union with him. A union that we do not achieve, we cannot earn it, we can't somehow perform in such a way that it becomes true of us. It is a union that is graciously established by God himself. Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, makes a list of the characteristics of our identity, who we are in Christ. 
In Christ we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a child of God, a part of the true vine, Christ's friend, chosen and appointed by Christ, a slave of righteousness, enslaved to God, a son of God, a joint heir with Christ. In Christ we are a temple, which Elaine talked about last week. We are united to the Lord and one spirit in him. We are a member of Christ's body. We are a new creation. I am reconciled to God and a minister of reconciliation. I am a son of God and one in Christ, an heir of God, since I am a son of God and a saint. In Christ, I am his workmanship. I am a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family, a prisoner of Christ, righteous and holy, a citizen of heaven, a hidden with Christ in God, an expression of the life of Christ, because he is my life. In Christ, I am chosen of God, holy and dearly beloved. I'm a son of the light and not of darkness. I'm a partaker of a heavenly calling, a partaker of Christ. I'm one of God's living stones being built up into a spiritual house. In Christ, I'm a chosen race, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. I am an alien and stranger to this world. I'm an enemy of the devil. I'm a child of God, and I am born of God. Being in Christ is the most critical element of our identity, says Anderson, and every one of the characteristics that we have just talked about is completely true. There is nothing that we can do to make them more true. And so my identity as a believer is directly related to my relationship with Christ and who he is. This brings me to a fifth question. Why is this issue of identity important? What's the big deal? Who gives a rip? One of the most important questions of philosophy is who am I? In psychology, one of the key investigations is the same question. Who am I? It is the heart cry of humanity. We long to know our identity and knowing who we are is important to our ability to live well. And it seems to me that in our culture, there are individuals with identity confusion and crisis. Many in our culture are victims of identity theft, which is much deeper and more important than having their credit card information stolen. I read by junior high, many young people feel inadequate, unlikable, worthless, empty, hopeless. The pain goes something like this. You do not really want to be someone else. What you really want is just to be able to feel good about yourself. You want to be loved and accepted by someone who is important to you. You do not like you and therefore you doubt that anyone else could. You feel if you could only look better, do better, be something better, you would feel the gnawing desire of your soul. Who am I? Who am I? It is the question that goes deeper than our birth certificate or our social insurance number card. In the quietness of your own soul, who do you say that you are? A common response to that question, who are you, goes something like this. I'm a carpenter. 
I'm a lawyer. I'm a housewife. I'm a teacher. One doesn't need to reflect very long to realize that the response really, that response really doesn't answer the question. Rather, that response answers the question, what do I do? It is, the real, it is a real problem when we, when we try to base our identity in what we do, in our performance. Now, the great philosopher Batman stated the performance-based identity idea in this way. It is not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. But even worse than that, our performance is often directed towards those values dictated to us by our culture. Hermine Marshall said it this way, self-esteem or identity develops when humans possess culturally valued traits and feel important. You'll see on the screen, at least I hope you're seeing on the screen, those values that often are depicted in our culture and that form the base of our identity. In other words, the fundamental method that we have in our culture of shaping identity becomes some form of obtaining as many likes as possible on Facebook. The option of others, the, sorry, the opinion of others becomes the basis of my opinion of myself. Martin DeHaan says it this way, if those are our values, we are in trouble. Regardless of how they are described, they are superficial, short-lived, and extremely misleading. Your net worth is not equal to the sum total of your appearance, your abilities, or your affluence. When we try to base our identity in performance, we construct a facade, a mask, a disguise that looks good on the outside, but is entirely without substance. Richard Rohr describes it this way, and I quote, Our masks have become our reality, and we have become our lies. In short, we have lost authenticity and adopted an identity based on an illusion. With the self that is created in God's likeness rejected, our false self is the self we develop in our own likeness. This is the person we would like to be, a person of our own creation, the person we would create if we were God. But such a person cannot exist because he or she is an illusion. It seeks to convince itself of its reality by what it does and achieves because it is hollow at the core, end of quote. Let me go to our last question then, to bring conclusion to these two themes. How do we live into our identity in Christ? And I want to just suggest two major issues or two major responses. The first is, we need to release our self-engineered attempts at identity building. We must surrender these self-crafted and egocentric approaches to building self-identity. We must remove the masks and take down the facades of the pretend self with which we attempt to deceive ourselves 
and others. And so I ask this morning in response, what is the disguise? What is the mask that you feel you feverishly need to maintain? Because it is that on which you base your worth, your identity. Number two, we need to accept our identity in Christ as a gift. Our identity, I am, is rooted in Christ's identity, I am. Our identity in Christ is the truth, the reality of who I really am. Our identity in Christ is not a construction that we build or earn, but rather a wonderful gift. That we graciously receive. You see, God knows me. Excuse me. God knows me not for who I want to be, but for who I am. He relates to me as I really am and not my self-engineered illusion. And more than that, more importantly than that, he loves me for who I really am. His love is unconditionally poured out, not because I am worthy, but in my unworthiness, his grace and his mercy makes me worthy. This is the good news. This is the good news. Let's pray together. Our gracious and good Father, help us to release and repent of the idols and attractions that we use to persuade ourselves and others that we are worthy to be loved by our own doing. And help us to receive with gratitude the gift of our identity in Christ, in which we are already loved unconditionally by the limitless love of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.